So we're talking about people who, you know, the HR role now is divided into talent and generalists. And every time I look at it, there's a new HR title, right? You know, so there's, you know, comps and bends people, everybody's different. Um, but for, for each um, different role, you need to be able to report on how you're actually affecting productivity or how you're, affection, or how you're actually affecting the bottom line. On today's show, we're talking to Crystal, the CMO at HR Locker. And we're going to discuss the role of HR in organisations, as well as what a different cultural base means for organisations and how they prepare for different working styles. As I said, she's CMO. She's also the employee experience advocate. So something that all businesses right now, let's face it, have to be thinking about. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast, hosted by myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group. We bring you thoughts and insight from leaders across the industry and a little bit of technology news. Joining me today, recording very early on a Friday, so coffee in hand. Have you got a coffee, Amber? I haven't actually. I haven't made my coffee just yet. So. There's me going on about it being early morning. Well, you haven't even made your coffee yet. It's that early. I know. I haven't oh, made it. I haven't, haven't had my porridge yet either, so oh. I'm going to be not on top form this morning. Is that, is that what you need to be kind of firing on all cylinders? Yeah. But then yesterday, I did my, my normal thing. I put my porridge in my bowl. I don't have milk in my porridge. I have water. So, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, come on. I have oat milk, but it's at least, at least better than water. Anyway, carry on. I, and I have water with my cereal as well. So um, just... What is little, wrong with you? Just on a little side note. But that, that never goes down well with anyone, to be honest. No, I nearly posted I nearly posted an Instagram story last week taking the piss out of the serving suggestions on Cheerios because it suggested you could have it with water. And I was about to be like, well, they had a lazy day at the office. But <laughs> no, apparently not. Yeah, every time I say that, people are like, what is wrong with you? But it, honestly, I don't like milk. I don't like the smell of milk. And water just... I, I was just... Yeah, it just tastes nice but anyway back to the porridge so I put the porridge in the microwave put my little berries on top like I usually do and then I put it in for like two minutes like I usually would and I came back and basically my whole microwave was covered in porridge it does that sometimes if you leave it for too long you may must have maybe put too much water in or something I don't know I actually think it was that, to be fair. no I think Small I put bowl? a bit too much water in I went a bit mm. yeah a bit happy with the water but was it the, the, the Quaker's oats it was, I think it's like a, a cheaper alternative Quaker Oats, but it was one of the little sachets, basically. Yeah, so it's got like the little line that you, oh, you've, Dave, had, a, you've had a nightmare. I never put it up to the line. What? I just, no, I just, I put the porridge oats in first and then put the tap on and then just... So basically, you have slightly sludgy, watery, not very cooked oats. Yeah, pretty much. Your porridge sounds like an absolute disaster. <laughs> I mean, I put berries in there and honey, if that makes it any better. So I'll I'll do the normal plain oats with some oat milk, and then I'll get a, a squeeze of honey and maybe some cranberries or maybe even some peanut butter and stir that Ooh, in. Oh, I do like it with peanut butter. Mm. Mm. It's not an everyday well, thing, but when you have it, it's like a little treat, isn't it? Not every day, but it's, it's good protein. Mm. It's healthy. Anyway, this is... Anyway, so it's breakfast time. Uh, <laughs> however, what we should say is that if you are working from home, it allows you the flexibility to have the kind of breakfast that you'd want and not racing to a station and picking up something from Pret on the fly. So there's a nice little segue yeah. to today's well interview with Crystal from HR Locker. We'll hand over, we'll come back with some commentary afterwards. Today, I'm talking to Crystal. Crystal, you are joining me from Ireland. You're joining me from the organization HR Locker. How are you? I am very good. Thank you, David. 
I should know this because I had a look around your website. Yes, I can't remember now if you're on the east or west coast. You're on the west coast of Ireland, right? We're on the west coast of Ireland. Very lucky. So, well, not so lucky today. It's not the weather's not great, but on a lovely day. No, but it's 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 a part of the world where even if it's not great, it still <laughs> looks beautiful. pretty good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I've I've not travelled extensively, but I did go to a wedding in Donegal a few years ago. Uh, so obviously the northwestern tip, but it was it was absolutely stunning. It is, and you know what, we take it for granted. So you know, it's you know, my I have small kids, and we bring them around the local area, and they're like, oh, this is so boring. But I know when they're older, they're really going to appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the way? Uh, anyway, that aside, I, I think we might come back to that as a theme because it, <laughs> it's kind of central to HR Locker. But first of all, who are HR Locker? What do you do for the business? So um, me myself, so I'm the CMO here at HR Locker and I have been with HR Locker the last 14 years Um, and originally we started out as a HR consultancy company so we were HR Interventions Limited back in the day and we started working with companies who were looking for a HR, who didn't have a HR function, basically. So they were that small to medium enterprise company who um, they brought us in to do policies and procedures and kind of manage their day to day HR function. And in around kind of 2011, 2012, we were looking for a piece of software ourselves to manage our clients. And we couldn't find one that fitted that SME market. And that's basically where HR Locker came from. Um, So we completely pivoted from being a HR consultancy and we're now 100% a HR software um, company. And we provide a HR software tool to companies to manage the day-to-day function of their HR. So anything from their HR records, their time and attendance records, performance management, their applicant tracking, um, all aspects of that. Still small to medium sized. Um, we've grown. La- we've grown the last few years. So um, we would say now we're in between that fifteen to five hundred man company. Um, mm-hmm. But we do have we do have a number of other um, of, of larger clients. Um, but um, I suppose as we're, we're very lucky, we went into companies who were growing, and we've grown with them, um, yeah. which has which we've learned some things along the way, which is great. And I'd imagine your client base has gotten bigger from being. The company that you were to now being a a solutions provider via the cloud. Absolutely. And was one of the things, um, you know, it was the huge 2009, 2010 as a consultancy in terms of the economic crash at that stage was very difficult. If you lost one client, it was it was incredibly difficult. And there was we had kind of around eight or nine consultants at that stage. And and it was it was, I suppose, any companies that were going through um issues the first thing to go was we're consultants whereas now if we are if you're a larger company we have almost 40 employees now and we um you know we've we've thousands of 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 clients and so to to put um i suppose now we're we've put in that that base to actually work with companies and grow with them um, rather than being the first thing that's cut and one of the nice things that you you look at your website and it talks about kind of surf days culture and the fact that the business was originally a, a lifestyle business. Uh, uh, your, yeah. your founder wanted to head to the West Coast and, and have more of a balance. Yeah. Um, so I is that, is that, is that survived the expansion? Has that survived you kind of changing and becoming a solutions provider? I'm going to say yes and no. Okay. So I'll start with the yes bit first in that at our core, we started being a company based on the West Coast of Ireland. Um, we have very little clients around where we're based. And um, for, you know, remote working, kind of 10, 
15 years ago wasn't really at the fore. And our offering for our employees was that move on to the west of Ireland. It's a beautiful place. Um, you know, you can still have a, a professional job, work with a professional company, as well as being able to go surfing at lunchtime and being able to have that kind of great work-life balance, live in a remote area, as well as still having a great career. And that was our biggest selling point from an employer over the, the last 10 years. However, as you've cor- correctly said, um, David, is that in the last 12 to 15 months, things have massively shifted in that that remote working, flexible work arrangement um, has now been adapted you know, by the majority of the, the multinational companies and the majority of, of companies in the cities. So you know, that is no longer our main um, offer anymore because people can say, well, look, I can work for Amazon and Microsoft and they're offering the remote working and I can still go to the beach, you know? So it's, it, it has become a different offering. Now, in terms of our culture, we really embrace the fact that we have a flexible work, um, working arrangement for most people, whether you're in the office or at home. Um, and we embrace that as a culture ourselves. Um, so that, that we have tried to retain, even if people aren't in the office. Uh, talking more broadly about this idea of people kind of being in the office, not being in the office, the website, as we said, talks about two hours of surf time. That's, that's a lovely kind of ethos to have. Um, there are some stories of, of kind of companies in New York trying yep. to tempt, tempt, tempt their uh, workers back with free pizza, uh, which doesn't seem like much of a perk, if I'm perfectly honest, but maybe with uh, employment rights in the States, that's wonderful. Uh, but the narrative of companies going on, like, on the charm offensive, um, some people seem to resent that a little bit and they just want to be paid properly. Um, so, so from your perspective of someone who does work with organizations, what, what do you think they should be offering their staff as we move into this hybrid world and where people do have more flexibility? I think there's going to be a massive shift towards the flexible benefit side of things. Because when you look at your workforce, you have to look at the different demographics and where people are in, in their life, I suppose. So, you know, having paid maternity leave or paid parental leave is something as a benefit that is going to be extremely appealing to somebody who's looking to start a family or, you know, in, in looking maybe in the next few years to do that. But maybe if I'm in my 50s or if I'm in my early 20s or maybe I'm not looking for a family, that isn't a benefit that I really care about. I just won't get paid properly. Mm. Um, Or, you know, for example, the flexible working option. For me, like I said, I have three kids at home. And for me, flexible working is fantastic. I'm able to drop the kids pre-COVID. I was able to drop the kids at school, um, you know, and I, I, in terms of uh, my workload, the most important thing is that I get the job done. So that is a huge benefit to me. However, maybe um, and I claim to be a millennial, but let's say that younger millennial generation <laughs> um, is uh, they, you know, maybe flexible working, they don't care so much about. So maybe mm. that's not a benefit that they really want. So one, I think the key is that, yes, just because you're you're based in the West Coast of Ireland or you're based in, you know, a smaller area doesn't mean that you need to get less of a wage than somebody who's based in a city. And then two, in terms of your actual, um, your your benefits, um, look at benefits that are actually going to benefit people. Having a free pizza day or having, a, you know, endless beers on a Friday or whatever, um, that only really appeals to a very small demographic. Just one thing that jumps to mind where you mentioned maternity leave. Um, obviously, there are certain policies that from country to country have 
have been difficult. I mean, I make the joke about American employee rights, but there's there is always that kind of idea that the American pop, yeah. working population gets far fewer days holiday. Work after a few weeks, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and I was kind of privy to a conversation internally at work where they were trying to standardize and take the best practices from certain parts of the business, uh, and it was prompted by one person who who's in the Nordics saying. What happens to these meetings over summer? And the Brits went, well, what do you mean what happens to these meetings over summer? So, well, well, everyone's on summer break, right? And it's like, well, well no, we don't do that here. But now that everyone is working remotely, this, this must be a challenge for businesses, right? If you, if, if you, if you are a, an organization that's hired this, this team that is all of a sudden geographically dispersed, then, then there are challenges for organizations to work it's through, right? It's really different, right? And we have moved into this. Your talent pool is no longer nationwide. We're talking that it's it's now completely international, right? So you've got people from all different countries working for you. And funny, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today and she was like, we have people in Malaysia and apparently they got a new holiday last week for the king's birthday or something. <laughs> they were like, when did that happen? And and we have, um, funny in this system, it's it's kind of an ongoing joke internally in regards to the public holidays for Saudi Arabia and Dubai and all those kind of Eastern countries. They, they're run by the moon and it's so difficult to figure out which and different jurisdictions have different public holidays and then they just change. So it's, 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 it is difficult. It is really difficult. However, um, I would agree that in terms of if, in, if you are going to have that large cultural base, which I think that's where we're going anyway, um, you're going to have to prepare for different, different working styles. So the HR team, how does, how does that evolve in this current situation? You know, if we think about the last few years prior to the pandemic we had talent we had yeah. people separating out as various different functions you kind of i kind of don't know I, I always felt that almost felt the hr teams felt a little bit older in terms of they they were getting marginalized and maybe not quite so cool as some of these kind of yeah. newer functions but what 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 role does the hr team now have as we come out well, maybe as we slowly try to make sense of the situation. Yeah. So I think over the last, definitely the last 15 years, um, HR has always felt like they're the, the marginalized profession. Um, and they've all, you know, ever since I've been in the HR role, everybody's always talking about how does HR get a seat at the table? Make sure HR gets a seat at the table. And so I think it, one of the ways that um, HR is doing it, which um, I do think it's it's a good idea, is that we're no longer just looking at that our function is purely just um, record keeping and payroll. If HR genuinely wants to get that seat at the table and to, I suppose, unmarginalize their um, their their role, they need to start looking at um, figures and the the data that they're reporting. So we're talking about people who, you know, the HR role now is divided into talent and generalists. And every time I look at it, there's a new HR title, right? You know, so there's, you know, comes and bends people, everybody's different. Um, but for, for each um, different role, you need to be able to report on how you're actually affecting productivity or how you're affecting or how you're actually affecting the bottom line. Um, you know, a really good example is if you look at the the marketing um 
profession over the last 20 years really marketing now has things has you know your digital marketing your content writing um you know there's so many different um realms to the abm lots of different things to marketing and every single one of them has a figure to report on so how you're actually affecting bottom line how you're affecting your sales how you're affecting everything so every every penny you're spent how you're actually affecting the cost of acquisition and from a hr perspective we should be looking at the same is that when you're going to the boardroom table you need to be able to say, well, these are the figures that I'm reporting on. We've improved productivity by 10%. We've put in a flexible working policy and that's stopped. We've, we've improved product uh, retention by 3% and productivity is up 4%. You know, like that's, and we've, you know, so we've saved money. So, and that's, I think if HR want to become more modernized and if HR want to be taken seriously, that's what they need to be looking at is those things that, that from a boardroom table that every other profession is reporting on. Mm. And productivity is such a hot topic yeah. now with yeah. people not being in front of their managers because people are still nervous about, I suppose, relinquishing that central control. So so I would imagine that those kind of metrics and that kind of tools is is something that people are now asking for in, in HR Locker more and more. Absolutely. And that's the thing is that, you know, as a company ourselves, we've always had that remote working element. We've always had that flexible working element. So when COVID hit and everybody went home, really, we just turned our laptops on and continued working because we had that, we, we knew how to do that, right? And a lot of companies don't like remote working and they didn't like the flexible working option. And it was kind of just thrust upon people to say, this is, you know, this is going to end in two weeks. We're 15 months later and we're almost there. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so then it is up to HR to go in and say, well, you know what, this this flexible working or remote working um, practice session that we've had over the last 12 to 15 months, it actually really worked and it increased productivity. Even though managers aren't there looking over people's shoulders, I can show that um, you know people were homeschooling and they still did the work. They still did the job at the end of the day. Um, and that's I think so. So I'm a huge advocate for, you know, stop looking at people. Um, now, I say this in that we offer timesheets, but uh, <laughs> but stop looking at people's just clock in and out times, looking what people actually produce at the end of the week, because that's the metric you want to measure. You know, yeah. now, obviously, if somebody's working 100 hours a week, that's a whole different thing. You need to address that. But it's the productivity of the person that you, that you want to be measuring. We're touching there on on trust, on empowerment of staff. Um, there is, I, I do think there's this slight, um, let's not call it an argument, but a slight kind of discussion to be had between, you know, how much, how much, uh, autonomy organizations afford their staff over how often they're in the office and how much businesses are going, no, we want you here on these days or this many days a week or whatever else it might be how do organizations balance empowering staff making them feel trusted giving them that flexibility and freedom versus setting what they believe their culture should be yeah as we try and return to a physical environment and i think it's something that you know we we've had a couple of webinars the last couple of months in regards to stop waiting for government legislation in regards to bringing people back to work you are a company, you know what you're going to do. Ultimately, you've had this for the last 12 months. Start communicating with your employees what your work, what your post-COVID work is going to be like and start communicating to it now. And then in regards to um, the flexibility side of things is you have to, I suppose it depends on what side of the scale, scale you sit on. Do you think that flexibility is an employee benefit or do we think that flexibility is a 
management tool to increase productivity. So if we think that flexibility is purely an employee benefit, then you're kind of on the back foot straight away and you're looking at, you know, individual flexibility um, kind of agreements with people. So Jane down the road, we let her come in at 10 past nine because she's got to drop the kids to school. We have another one for John. It's not really a cultural thing that we kind of embrace. It's really just something that's on an ad hoc basis with management. And we say we have a flexible working policy. We really don't. And because we we think it's in a bit where we think we're being nice to our employees by a kind of allowing them to do it. But then yeah. if you really want to embrace, and this, what I am a firm believer in is that if you want to embrace then that you look at flexibility as a retention tool, as a productivity tool, as something that, um, is attractive for for um, recruiting people and that it becomes your company ethos in that we offer flexible working because we think, it creates a product, a productive workforce. And for that, that side of thing, then you need to look at, okay, well, we're results driven. We're, we're looking at a culture where flexible working practices are used by management to achieve business success. So it's not a lovely little fluffy thing. It's actually based around, we're going to put it in, embedded in our culture to make sure that we're successful um and and that it drives the success of our company so it really depends on which side of you're at now I, I would say you know you're looking at some big um the last couple of months you see some big companies saying we we respect we expect um, people back in the workplace and they look at flexible working as being a benefit because they're, they they don't see the productivity side of it whereas i think if you really look at then other companies are saying you know what, we we do flexible working because we retain um, people who have, I'm harping on about people who have kids and stuff, but you're retaining the, the working parent because you're allowing them to have that little bit of flexibility around school. Maybe you're retaining some younger people who maybe they want to go to the gym at seven o'clock in the morning or something like that, and they want to start at eight or something. So, you know, you are, you can, and again, if you, if you move away from that, it's not about the nine to five, it's about the actual productivity at the end of it. Then I think that um, kind of, you look at flexibility more of being something else of success rather than a benefit. Well, Crystal, it's, it's been fascinating to have a quick chat with you and, and go through some of these, these dilemmas that are facing organisations. Uh, very quickly, if someone wanted to find out a bit more about HR Locker, how would they best do it? So the best place to find us is hrlocker.com. It's a straight to our website and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So um, I'm under Crystal robbins Um And so if anybody wants to connect with me, please feel free. Cool. Well, look, thank you very much for your time and hopefully the weather improves and oh, you do get nice. a chance to enjoy the beach. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Thank you so much, David. It's been great. Right. First of all, I, I love the idea of surf time. Um, every, every business should have surf time regardless of whether or not you can surf. And the world would be a better place, actually, even though I've never surfed in my life. I grew up on the coast and the idea of just having a couple of hours to go to the beach, every business should somehow make that a possibility. Yeah, I think it's such a cool idea. It's like these guys were kind of ahead of the curve almost, weren't they? Because she said that this was a thing for them like a long time ago. And hmm. yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I always like to have something to do at lunchtime. Like I can't just sit in front of my computer all lunch or sit in an office all lunch or yeah, I have to go out for a nice walk or sort of do something just to feel as though I've sort of broken up the day. And if I had yep. surf time, I feel like, yeah, i, I would be sort of recharged and ready to go again after lunchtime. So you might think that it sounds ridiculous, but in, in Paris in the summer, they have this thing called Paris-Plage, which is like these, so plage in, in French is beach. So they, they create these man-made beaches along the Seine where you can kind of chill out and go to the beach in the middle of the city. It's like we should almost have like a Thames 
beach. I'm not yeah. sure if there are or not, but it'd be great if they could. Would it be very? Would it be very re- relaxing though? It'd probably be very busy, wouldn't it? I imagine so. Yeah, I'm sure they do have like pop up beaches in like Fulham and stuff, but I think they're more so like for bars and and sort of going there to socialise. So probably not to unwind and chill out over your lunch. They break. should have one like South Bank, round by City Hall or something. That's yeah. the kind of place where you could easily do one, and it'd be like just a bit of sand, few deck chairs by the water. Come here, chill out for an hour or so. That could be our version of surf time. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think we need something. I think it's a really cool idea. And I think the fact that, like you say, they did it a long time ago shows that they're not just, it's not just a trend. It's not a now thing, is it? Because I think a lot of companies yeah. will jump on board and do this now, whether or not it'll actually stay and it'll be a thing sort of yeah. two, three years down the line. I think that's a whole different sort of question altogether. Everyone should jump on board with surf time. There's a pun ready made for it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think what she had to say about incentives was also really interesting because she's right. Like a lot of us talk about company incentives like paternity and maternity leave. Paternity and maternity leave don't actually apply to most of us most of the time. Yeah, it's really weird because I actually had a conversation with someone the other day and they were asking a lot of questions around the maternity leave and then they they sort of said, oh, you know, I haven't, I, I'm not sort of planning to have a family. I haven't actually got a boyfriend. And I was like, oh, right, okay. But it seems to be something that people are Ask asking. Yeah, regardless. And, and something that I guess companies have to sort of evaluate and, and sort of, you know, look at their offering because it's, uh, yeah, I suppose it is something that's going to be sort of, you know, well, coming into the equation. I love the idea of flexible benefits. And there are, there is beginning to be more of this trend, isn't there, where organizations allow you to go into a portal and to select various benefits that fit you. And a company absolutely should have a modern, progressive, inclusive paternity and maternity leave option. But actually, just kind of having a benefits package like old isn't fit for purpose in the world in which we now exist. And and it's going to be a bit more flexible and a bit more fluid. Then organize, one way that organizations can look to to serve their their kind of populations of employees a little bit more is, is to go, well, hang on a minute, let's let's offer an entirely bene- flexible benefits package and kind of give you a, a menu of, of sorts that you can choose from that fits you and that time of your life. Yeah, no, it's definitely the best way to go about things, I think, because whereas some people would love having like, I don't know, a gym membership or sort of discounted gym membership, for example. Some people, that that doesn't appeal. So as you say, just having the option to go in and sort of say, yeah, that's for me, that's not for me. I love that. Maybe not so interested in that. I think that's, um, yeah, it's definitely a good idea because it just shows that you're sort of, like you said, you've got that sort of fluidity and that flexibility and, and people can sort of take away from sort of the organization what they wish rather than it just being one model, one size kind of fits all. Yeah. So you can either have 50% off your gym membership or 50% off McDonald's. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> no. um, what was I going to say? I was going to just very quickly. Well, one of the points that I think she made that I do want to spend a minute or two talk, talking about, she alludes to the fact that it shouldn't matter if you're on the West coast of Ireland about how much you get paid. And there does seem to be this dialogue at the minute that, oh, well, you know, if you don't want to be in London, then you know it shouldn't necessarily be paid what you were being paid to be in London. And it's that that is something that I've that that winds me up, I'll be perfectly honest. It really irks me, this idea that and you know, people in the States are kind of talking about moving away from the valley and it's like, oh well, you won't get the same salary. Why not? They're doing the same job. We don't get paid because we're working in London. 
We're working in London and getting paid to do those jobs because there was no alternative. Now there is, but it's the same productivity, the same outcomes, the same skills that you need to have to do the job. So why the hell should a company pay you less? It's this bullshit narrative that, that the businesses are coming up with to try and save money. I get that, but it's just, it shouldn't wash with people. Mm. Um, I have the exact same opinion on this as you do, because obviously, if, I guess if you look into both of our situations, so our circumstances have changed since we've, you know, since the pandemic. So we both obviously moved outside of London but then still work for the same company and still but do not so much that job. we couldn't get there oh yeah exactly so we're still in a sort of commutable distance but yeah i agree i think if you want to live elsewhere and, and as she said obviously sort of moving to the you know the west coast of ireland if you want to do that it shouldn't impact you know the sort of the salary that you have if you're still doing the exact same job you're joining on the same meetings every day you're still doing the same sort of high standard of work, then as long as the productivity is there, right? Yeah, exactly. Like there shouldn't be, it shouldn't have an impact on your salary whatsoever. I mean, say you move to the West Coast and then you just spend every day surfing. There's a whole different story. You know, if the productivity yeah. drops, then obviously they've got like a bit more of an argument, I guess. But you know, whilst you're still doing the exact same stuff and working equally as hard, like yeah, there, there shouldn't be any reason why your sort of salary should um, should take a knock because of that. Yeah, and I, I think there is an element that employees need to talk about it and be like, no, I'm going to be valued for my skill set. There, mm. there is, this is a talent short market right now in, in certain disciplines, especially in technology, and shouldn't get taken advantage of just because businesses are trying to trying to kind of claw some money back. And like, I get that you almost get sometimes put into, under pressure of kind of be a good corporate citizen. And it's like, no, actually... Yes, I'll be a good corporate citizen, but there is a line where that shouldn't be used as a way to take advantage of people's goodwill. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. I think there has got to be a point where you, yeah, like you say you sort of either have a bit of an open conversation about this or you at least kind of voice these opinions because otherwise, yeah, I mean, you're, you're just sitting there and, and you will sort of happily kind of take the pay drop, which is like ludicrous to think that you know you're you're just sat elsewhere you're sat in a different part of the country mm. and then that suddenly means that your pay might drop you know quite significantly um yeah I, th I think you're right you kind of have to have that conversation don't you especially whilst you're in a position where you know there are sort of skill shortages and you potentially could go elsewhere and then not you know sort of be treated in the same way or get a pay rise if anything rather than a pay drop yeah yeah uh the very last point the, the death of nine to five do you think this is the death of nine to five i hope so <laughs> i um, think that that's been coming for a long time anyway if you look at yeah. the startup sector and whatever else and and that's not that doesn't always necessarily come with good um there are some drawbacks as well because you know you need to maintain a balance and not be always on and some countries have laws where you're prohibited from you know being sent emails after certain times but I do feel like we've got to the end of the idea of Monday to Friday, nine to five. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't know about emails after a certain time. Oh, yeah, yeah. So oh. certain Nordic countries, I think even perhaps Germany, I might be wrong on that, but I'll have to look up. But uh, there are certain countries where you, you, you are legally not allowed to receive work emails after a certain time. Oh, my God. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, I didn't know that. But I, I, I think, it, again, it comes down to the individual, doesn't it? Because some people get up really early get on their laptops really early and just get things done before they it, make porridge it, well yeah exactly I'm a, I'm a life example of that today but I think other people they prefer to sort of to start a bit later and then finish later mm -hmm. so again I think if that fits with your routine 
and and you you know again can still get the job done it shouldn't be sort of you know core hours and, and sort of have this no. really old-fashioned way of looking at things what i've discovered during the pandemic is i'd be ideally suited to a mediterranean climate because i do really well in the mornings and i do quite well in the evenings and i'm useless after lunch so oh. i i'd be i'd be great if i could have a siesta yeah so <laughs> am i honestly after lunchtime just Off yeah. a cliff. It, everything just goes really like oh i'm just so sleepy especially with it yeah. being nice weather and especially when i get out and have a walk i feel like i've just kind of con- contradicted myself because i do feel sort of recharged in one sense but then also yeah it, it, i just feel like my brain kind of switches off i agree right we'll take a quick advert break and when we're going to come back thinking of taking a walk we're going to talk about google maps and we're going to talk about the potential for fatal routes being given to walkers who are using it. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. You look perplexed. Yeah, oh, that sounds (laughs) worrying. (laughs) So the story is Google Maps suggests potentially fatal routes up Ben Nevis, says Mountain Charities. Organisations in Scotland have said they've tried to contact Google about the dangers but received no reply. So Scottish mountaineering um, charities have criticised Google for suggesting routes up Ben Nevis and other mountains that they say are potentially fatal and directing people over a cliff. The John Muir Trust, which looks after the upper reaches of the UK's highest mountain, said attempts to contact the company over the issue met with silence. The charity said that certain searches for routes up Ben Nevis on Google Maps directed users to a car park nearest the summit as the crow flies, and then indicated that the raw walking route was highly dangerous, even for experienced climbers. That that I, this is genuinely I, super interesting and super worrying. Yeah, I I agree. I thought it was quite ominous how you sort of just ended with. The, this sort of um, the line about sort of dodgy walking routes. Well, you said it a lot nicer than that. But the thing is, for me, I think that there has to be a level of common sense here as well. I Go appreciate on. that. Obviously, if you're following a map, you expect that map to give you a good, um, you know, journey of obviously, but or a good route, I should say. But then I think if you're being directed over a cliff and then it starts to look a bit, you know, the path's gone. It doesn't look overly safe. Like surely you have to sort of weigh it up and think right, should we go elsewhere? Should we go a, an alternative route that we're more com- like comfortable with rather than just let's follow the map because it said that, but then actually... Yeah, but I can, I can certainly understand though, like people will probably have that app out and they will go, oh, hang on, right. Um, I'm not entirely sure which way we're supposed to go, but the map says we go this way. So that must be the right way to go. And people will rely on that. And because they're confused or that, you know, they're not likely to turn back necessarily. I think they'll, they'll push on thinking because the map says that it's the safe thing to do when it's not. And I think people put a lot of trust in, I think people have lost the art of map reading. This is super niche now, but I think they've lost the art of map reading and we do all just get their our phones out and go, well, it says go this way. I was actually going to say that if you're climbing 
if I was climbing Ben Nevis, I would not go to Google Maps. No. Because I feel like you wouldn't get any like connection or anything anyway. Well, I mean, look, my personal recommendation, and this is this is now quite random that we're coming into like here's a recommendation, but I have the OS Maps app. Okay. I've not heard of that. Well, you know Ordnance Survey Maps, right? You no. don't know Ordnance Survey? Oh, no. <laughs> right. The Ordnance Survey produces really deep, like they are the gold standard of maps. Right. Is, so, is that just like the maps that you would get like an old-fashioned handheld paper map? Cue some editing, people, whilst I go into another room and grab a map to show Amber. Right. This is, this is made for an audio podcast. I've got a map in my hand. This. Okay, so you can get that on your phone. Yeah, so oh, that okay. level of detail. You recognise this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I didn't know what <laughs> you proper, meant when you said map. it, but I do recognise it now. That is an OS map. They now come, when you buy them, with mobile digital download versions. Oh, interesting, okay. Um, which is super helpful, because when I did the run the other week, I was able to download the maps for the route I was doing. Um, and it still also did the little pin drop thing. So you can see exactly where you were. So you've got the real detail of this, plus it gives you that added benefit of telling you where you are. Oh, okay. So you're not a Google Map user anyway. So this, this no, 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 no. doesn't really even apply to you, Dave. Well, no, but it's still important because a lot of people will use it. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is important. And I, and I know from moving to, to the countryside, when I look on Google Maps and I look on my OS map, the OS map shows me real, real detail around the landscape and contour lines and you know the path, which Google Maps just doesn't give you, which actually, if you're going over high terrain, knowing what the landscape is doing in terms of contours is quite important. Yeah, I agree. I think, but surely if you were going to do like a hike over Ben Nevis, like surely you would probably look into these things. Like you go sort of fairly prepared. You think that, but people do all sorts of stupid stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I can, I can vouch for that. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was quite interesting. Um, that is all for today. Thank you for joining me. Amber, go and get your porridge. I hope you don't blow it up. Thank you. I hope I don't either. <laughs>